0: Dirty talk is a bit of a misnomer. So dirty talk doesn't have to be dirty. It can be romantic, it can be teasing, it can be demanding, it can be playful. So number one, think about like what really turns you on rather than worrying about saying what you think a partner wants to hear. What what would you wanna hear? What do you wanna say? What makes you feel however it is you like to feel?
1: Today's episode is a super fun and highly requested one. Let's talk about sex, baby. I will warn you, you're going to be hearing a lot of my voice today because literally while I was recording an entire episode on getting laid and how to get it in, Kaylin was in labor just trying to get it out. So she could not join us, but she did welcome her beautiful daughter into the world. We're so happy for her. Honestly, I think low key she just went into labor to avoid talking about dildos in front of the whole world, but... We'll never really know so i'm super excited to dive into this episode because i think it's a really really important one we always ask our guests what's one thing they wish they'd learned in school and honestly one of the number one things that i think the education system really missed out on for our generation in school was a solid sex ed curriculum because sex ed was basically limited to learning about stis pregnancy An abstinence and getting like an awkward diagram of anatomy. There was no real education on consent or how to prepare for different sexual acts or how our anatomy actually relates to pleasure. For anyone who's watched Love, Sex and Goop, did you know how big the clitoris is? Because I had no idea. I was shook when I saw that. Millennials and older generations just grew up in a time when there was a lot of shame around sex, especially around female pleasure. And I think that still affects us to this day. It's very much embedded in us. I mean, doing this episode was a little nerve-wracking, even though I think it's so fascinating and so important that we all discuss it openly. But it's still a little scary to talk about, even though sex is one of the most universal parts of being a human. So we have talked a lot about relationships on the podcast in the past, but one of the key parts of a romantic relationship is great sex. And even if you're not in a relationship, part of growing up and figuring out who you are and what you like and just developing your sense of self and your sense of confidence is exploring sex. So keep listening for the most amazing chat with today's guest, sexologist, author, TV expert, and award-winning speaker, Dr. Jess O'Reilly. She is amazing. We had the best convo. But before we get into it, we wanted to gauge how you guys are feeling about your sex lives. So we pulled you on Instagram and thought we would just bust a few myths about busting nuts. Lol, couldn't help it. Okay, so when it comes to frequency, here's what you guys said in your polls. 50%, the majority of people who answered, are having sex one to two times a week, followed by 35% who are having sex one to two times a month, And then the minority was 15% who have sex four plus times a week or every time they see their partner if they're not living together. So the most common answer is one to two times a week, which isn't bad. And here's what I have to say about that. If you're happy with your current schedule, that's great. You do you. If you or your partner have communicated about wanting to have more sex, but it just it never works out. You're busy. You're stressed. Work is crazy. You've got kids. It's impossible. Schedule sex. I feel like that's just this huge myth and misconception that people have that it's like uncool or very unsexy to schedule sex and that everything is supposed to be this magical movie moment where you like glance across the room at each other and just like pounce. No, that's not real life. And scheduling sex actually is hot because there's anticipation There's this certainty that you know what you're doing. You're getting ready. You're preparing throughout the day for it. And you can kind of get excited. It creates this hype and this energy. And you both know what's coming, literally. And I just can't say enough about it. If if it's just not happening organically, there is nothing wrong with being like, hey, Friday nights, that's sex night. Sunday afternoons, self-care Sundays, we're doing it. So take that as you will. And then when it comes to libidos, 52% of you said that you had very different desire levels and libidos, while 48% of you said that you were very well matched. So basically half of you feel that you're on par with your partners in terms of how much sex you want. And half of you are like, hmm. We have very different levels. That's very normal. We do talk about that a lot in our interview today. So keep listening if that's been a challenge for you. But there's a lot of research you can do about your libido. If you feel like your libido is not where you want it to be and you want to work on that, everything from like exercise to how you feel about your body and your confidence levels, there's so many things that can affect your desire. So if it's an area you want to explore, definitely do some research because you don't just need to accept things the way they are. Sometimes your libido is affected by your hormones, your medication, all these different things. So look into that. And in terms of just everyday things, I think it's really important for couples to know that like, I think especially for women, you're not always after a really hard day and stressful day, just going to want to be in the mood. So if you want sex to be a big part of your life, there's a lot to be said for the entire day that leads up to it. Anyone who had a better day is going to be in the mood more. If you can help each other, support each other, set the mood early on, not just, you know, in like a a sexy way, but in terms of like, what can I do to help with dinner tonight? Like, what can I do to take something off your plate so you're less stressed, less tired tonight and more willing to get it on? So think about the whole lead up on days where you really want to have sex and how can you... Create an environment where that's something that everyone wants to do. And then obviously, like, actual lead up in terms of foreplay. It could start, you know, if one of you isn't in the mood, then just be like, that's okay. Like, let's just cuddle. Let's just hold hands. Like, I'll give you a massage and just start creating an environment where there's natural organic touch, where you create a really sexy mood, a sexy environment. And it's, it's way more likely to happen than just, like, having a cold lead and just being like, okay, we've both had a shit day. Now we're both in bed. Should we fuck? Probably the answer is going to be no. And then for the people who aren't in relationships, who don't have the luxury of an entire day leading up to sex, you know, like they're just kind of going on dates or meeting people when they're out. So that doesn't really apply to them. What I'll say about libido that's really interesting is you might want to start tracking your life, track your hormones, track your behaviors, and try to find patterns when you have the highest and the lowest sex drive, when you might be feeling the most confident and the most not in the mood. You'll find those patterns and then try to plan your dates around that, or try to plan you know, intimacy and sleepovers around that. And you'll start to see like, there are points in your life either based on your behaviors and your work schedule and when you're feeling best or based on your hormones where you're going to be more in the mood. So just start tapping into that and making plans around that. And that might really help with your libido. Next up, we're talking about toys. I was so impressed with this answer. I really wasn't sure how many people are using toys in the bedroom and 66% of you are. So that's awesome. We talk a lot about that in the episode. Dr. Jess has some great, great advice on different tools and different toys. And then we also asked you if you guys are sexting on the regular or if sexting is just no, not a part of your lives. 76% answered hell no. So y'all aren't sexting. That's okay. You don't need to (laughs) if it's not for you. But if it's something you want to explore, it doesn't need to be this huge scary thing. It doesn't need to be like super uncomfortable. Jess has some really great advice on how to initiate that. And spoiler alert, you can just start it with gifts. Gifs, whatever it is the kids call it these days, there's a lot of ways to like start up a sext without it being really awkward. And then when it comes to asking for what you really want in the bedroom and giving feedback to your partner about sex, 52% of you said that you're totally comfortable doing so. 48% said that it does make you feel awkward as fuck. So about half of you are like very open to communicating about sex, and the other half aren't. Which you know it's it's really important to do so. There's some work that we can do here. I think one way to think about it that might help is that communication is actually really sexy. I think people worry that if they provide feedback and specific direction or say, oh, I didn't like that, or oh, what I really, really like and what turns me on is this, they think it's uncomfortable, it's scary, it's not hot. But talking about consent and boundaries and providing feedback on your specific body and your pleasure needs is really hot. When people know what they want and they can be direct and communicate that, That's a turn on like it's a turn on in every other aspect of your life when you meet someone who knows what they want and goes for it. So why wouldn't that also apply to the bedroom? It's not as awkward as you think it is. And it's also even if it's like a very practical conversation, it might turn you guys on to just have a discussion about what you like and don't like because now you're talking about sex. And now you might have more sex. So communicating is so key. And also feedback doesn't have to be criticism. It can just be redirecting them to more of what you like. So provide feedback, and it's going to get so much better. We're going to dive into orgasms in our next sex episode. So that will be in the future. But something I do want to note about sex is that it doesn't need to be determined in terms of like the beginning, middle, and end by when your partner finishes. I feel like that's such a common thing I hear amongst women that I know, that it's kind of like sex is over once their partner has finished. But this is a great opportunity to communicate your needs and give feedback. So if your partner is done and you are not, continue your encounter until you're done. Like look at the I'm looking at the 66% of you that use toys. Just because one partner has climaxed does not mean sex has to be over. So communicate your needs, let them know if you're not done, if you want to keep going, if there's something that you'd like to do before you wrap up the session. And if you haven't gotten there yet, take matters into your own hands literally if you need to, but I'm sure your partner if they just knew that you you weren't done yet, they'd want to continue this encounter. And then finally, we asked you guys about whether you're feeling confident in the bedroom or not. And 58% of you said that you are feeling super confident and that is awesome. 42% are not confident in the bedroom and I think that's normal. I think whether you're worried about like your sexual skills and experience or your body or whatever it is that's getting in the way of your confidence, it's a very normal thing. But this whole episode today provides so many tools to help you feel good about yourself and your sex life, to help you feel better equipped, to be a great lover and to get the love that you deserve. So we really hope that that 58% of you skyrockets to 100% of you feeling really confident and good about sex after this episode. But we are not the experts. So we called in Dr. Jess O'Reilly, who is a sexologist with a PhD studying sex education. She's a best-selling author and television personality and an award-winning speaker. Definitely check out her book, Hot Sex Tips, Tricks, and Licks. It's amazing and she has worked with thousands of couples around the world to transform their sexual relationships she's a host of the hit reality series swing and she hosts intimately you on city tv so trust me when i say she knows what she's talking about she's honestly so cool she makes talking about sex so fun and approachable and easy and i could have talked to her all day teach us how to spice up our sex lives jess Thank you for taking the time. We're so, so excited to talk to you. This is one of our most requested episodes. And I know a lot of my friends just have so many questions right now that they're trying to navigate with relationships and sex. So this is highly sought after.
0: Awesome. It's my pleasure. So let's
1: start with the basics. What is your advice for couples who have different libidos and desire different frequencies of sex?
0: Oh, it's totally normal to, to have different libidos and different levels of desire because no two people are the same. So if I had asked you, you know, be with this person for the rest of your life and only eat food when they eat in the same quantities and the same food, it would be absurd. It would be unhealthy, in fact. And so similarly, finding that perfect match around sex is both unrealistic and probably unhealthy because somebody's probably capitulating or feeling pressure or not speaking up about their needs. And so mismatched desire is both normal and totally manageable. Uh, The number one thing is we have to talk about it. So an exercise I often assign to to couples entails taking your numbers and writing them down. So on a piece of paper, write down how often you would like to have sex once a week, three times a week, two times per fiscal year, (laughs) whatever your number is, and then draw a line and write down your partner's number, what you perceive them to want. Do they want it once with every meal do they want it you know 42 times per financial quarter how often do you think they want sex and then exchange Mm -hmm. papers and have a conversation probably have a laugh because when you want sex more often than your partner you tend to underestimate how often they want it because it feels like they're always saying no whereas when you want sex less often than your partner you tend to overestimate how often they want it because it feels like they're constantly pawing you from sex for sex. Right now? How about now? How about now? Tuesday? Wednesday? Okay, I'm good. And so most couples are actually a little closer than they think. So that's the first step is having the conversation about the raw numbers. And it doesn't mean that, you know, if I want it five times a week and my partner wants it once a week that we meet in the middle at 2.5. It's not like that. What we're looking for is not only to find middle ground, but also to better understand what drives each partner. Um, So the next thing I'm just gonna say is that neither partner is broken. If you want it all the time, you're not a pervert. If you don't want it at all, it doesn't mean something's wrong with you, right? Many folks in fact are low desire or asexual and they're not broken and they don't need to fix it. Having said that, in the context of a relationship, you at least need to talk about what you want and look for a way to ensure that both partners are feeling fulfilled right? And so then I ask you after that first exercise to do a fire and ice list. So the fire list is everything that could potentially make you want sex. So it could be, you know, my partner's been really sweet to me all day. They've been sending me texts or sex. They um, helped with something that took something off my plate. So I have more energy for them. Uh, There's no laundry on the floor. Like it could be anything at all. Uh, that could put you in the mood for sex. It might be that you're exercising. It might be that you didn't have a heavy meal at dinner. Like it, it everybody is different. And as you make your mm-hmm. fire list, you should keep adding to it. Like there could be hundreds of things on it to better understand what really drives you. And then you have your ice list, everything that detracts from potentially wanting sex. So it could be that you were fighting earlier in the week. It could be that your mother-in-law won't stop calling you. It could be that, uh, you know, you're you're not moving as much. Like for example, the pandemic has shifted and quashed sexual desire for so many of us. So you've got your fire and ice list and then you share that with your partner and you keep having these conversations around, okay, How do we find some middle ground? And that might be um, that the partner who wants it more needs to masturbate more, like go take care of yourself. Uh, It might be that the partner Mm -hmm. who doesn't want it as much tunes into what we call responsive sexual desire. Uh, so we've got spontaneous sexual desire and responsive sexual desire. And spontaneous is like, oh, I went to work all day, I made dinner. If you have kids, maybe you help the kids with homework, put them to bed, uh, talk to on the phone with your neighbor who's complaining about, I don't know, a shared fence. And they get into bed and spontaneously after that day, you're like, yeah, I want sex. Not super realistic for most people. <laughs> most of us in long-term relationships experience far more responsive desire, meaning we don't want sex, we don't desire sex spontaneously, but if we do something to get physically aroused, the subjective desire follows. So partner whispers in my ear, I ask for a massage, I reach for my toy, I start fantasizing about Eva Mendez, like whatever it is that gets me going, I I realize, oh, okay, I remember sex, I remember that thing, that thing feels good. And so it's not a quick fix but uh definitely there are ways to find that middle ground if you facilitate the conversations what hinders this is long-term resentment um, a lack of effort the notion that sexual desire should occur spontaneously the erroneous belief that if we are not on the same page something must be awry in the relationship sex is just sex it's it's like diet the food you eat or the exercise you can you you engage in or any hobby you engage in you can change it tomorrow like it doesn't have to be complicated it doesn't have to be the elephant in the room and we just need to talk about it
1: i think that answers a lot of people's questions and i think that fire and ice list is so so smart to try to track like what would help them you know maybe increase their libido what's turning them on and like what's the long game does it start in the morning like if your partner wants to have sex at night like can it be a full day lead up that's going to turn that no into a yes? The responsive touch part is also really key because I think there's this misconception like like in the movies and in TV that all of a sudden people who've been in a relationship for 10 years come home from work, look at their partner and they just jump on each other and it's like, no, that's usually not how it happens. Sometimes it's just plant and you know this is not night we're having sex and that's okay and other times i do think it's it's not a sexy way of putting it but it's a bit like going to the gym where the actual effort of getting ready getting your head around it going you're like oh i don't want to do this but as soon as you're doing it you're so happy you are like it's great maybe there's a certain type of responsive touch or something that will help you go to the gym with your partner and once you're doing it you're aroused you're happy you want to do it it's just like that barrier to get there absolutely
0: and that also both of you know what we're both saying here assumes that the sex is good right? Maybe we're not getting the sex we want. And if the sex was better, we'd want more of it, right? Like if you put a salad in front of me and you put a piece of chocolate cake, I'm going to want more of that. I'm going to be motivated. You know, when it's way across the room and you don't want to get up, I'm going to be motivated to get up for that chocolate cake. I'm not going to be motivated to get up for the salad, even if I'm really, really hungry. And so that's another conversation we have to have. What makes sex good? Like what feels good for me? Uh, And not just satisfying in that, like, maybe I get off and have an orgasm, but What makes it exciting? Like, what takes it to the next level? Like, why are we willing to pack our bags, go to a busy airport, wait in all these long lines, uh, get on a little tube and fly places? Well, because there's something on the other end that is worth it. And so how do we make sex worth it?
1: As someone in a long-distance relationship, I get on that plane often, (laughs) just very motivated by what's on the other end. (laughs) Yes, well,
0: and actually, you're probably a great example then, if you're in a long-distance relationship... Do you feel more motivated to have sex when you get there? Like, do you find that the desire for sex flows more naturally? Absolutely. Why do you think that is? Like, what can can people living together do that you're doing?
1: I think it's the, like, the novelty and excitement. It never gets boring. You feel like you appreciate every time you have the opportunity because you don't have it all the time. And there's just that excitement and that desire and those butterflies that I'm sure when you live with someone starts to
0: dissipate. Exactly. And so you said excitement and novelty and that buildup. So what can we be doing if we are living together to replicate that? Does that mean spending more time apart? Does that mean not getting involved in every Mm. little mundane detail of your partner's life? Does that mean creating space for mystery? Does that mean going to places that we don't normally go? Like all of these things that you're already doing. And and it's interesting because there's data showing that long distance relationships are just as fulfilling as close in proximity relationships. And I do think it's because you're faced with specific hurdles and you have to do things to overcome those hurdles whereas in close and proximity relationships a lot of those a lot of things are just too easy like it becomes too simple and when life is predictable predictable and simple and of course we we want lots of that we do want predictability and simplicity and comfort and love and care but when we eliminate the opportunity for risk that's when things get really really boring right like uh, you know you talked about butterflies the reason we feel butterflies is a stress response, right? So when you're first falling in love with someone or you're starting a new job or anything that gives you butterflies and gets you kind of excited, it has to do with the unknown and it has to do with fear, right? So when you don't know if this person is gonna like you, you don't know if you're going to face rejection because we do everything in life to avoid rejection, but rejection is actually very exciting in not, not rejection itself, but fear of rejection is very exciting. And so, what happens is your digestive tract starts acting up. Your anal sphincter actually contracts. And that's why you feel these butterflies in your stomach. And we think it's true love, but it's really just anal sphincter contractions in response to stress. <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: amazing. Oh, I'll definitely be dropping that fact the next time we're excited to see each other.
0: <laughs> it's just an anal sphincter contraction. Hey, use it. Use it. It's If it's relaxed right now, exactly. use
1: it. <laughs> Amazing.
0: Okay, so let's talk
1: about compatibility. So when it comes to sexual compatibility, how should partners navigate different erotic preferences? So one partner might be really kinky and the other really not into that and some might be really into sensuality and kind of foreplay and the others just very motivated by the act of sex so how do how do they bridge that that gap if there is one
0: yeah I, I always like to take it back to emotions so whatever it is you're into whether it's like kinky play with whips and chains or something more sensory play uh, what is it you want to feel like, how do you want to feel? Because it's not usually just physical. It's usually emotional. Every human interaction is emotional, which makes all sex emotional, whether it be a casual hookup or a long-term, you know, lovemaking with a with partner. And so mm-hmm. how is it you want to feel? Like, I go back to your kind of core erotic feeling and elevated erotic feelings. Um, do you want to feel subjugated? Do you want to feel powerful? Do you want to feel adored? Do you want to feel nervous? Do you want to feel, even some people want to feel humiliated. Some people are turned on by feeling jealous. Like, what is it? what emotion underlies your fantasy and then what are other ways that i can help you to feel that now if one of you wants something that the other doesn't then i think it's important to have a conversation about your whys. like what is it that appeals to you about a specific thing physically sexually spiritually relationally personally practically all the things and right. if you're not into something let's get into your why right like what is it that you perhaps fear what makes you uncomfortable here what vulnerabilities is it bringing up because ooh, if you can get into the vulnerabilities that surround sex and erotic play, ooh, that's when you can subjugate these potentially negative emotions. You can just really subvert them and have fun with it. So uh, you don't have to want the same things to be compatible. Uh, I do think that compatibility is probably related to your openness to trying other things, right? So if you're Mm -hmm. both equally invested in considering Other options, then you're probably going to be compatible. If it's a no way, no how end of conversation, that's when we run into impasses.
1: Right. That makes sense. I know you touched on this, and I do feel like kind of shame and these other difficult emotions are such a barrier for some people to take that leap and try something that maybe their partner wants to, but they're not comfortable with it. And they just have all of these ideas in their head of like, what will it mean for me if I'm, you know, whatever spanking or choking you like what does that say about me and so it it then becomes this this kind of threat to their identity and who they thought they were if it's something that wasn't in their normal realm and so I think it's really interesting to explore if if you and your partner aren't aligned and they don't want to do something then then trying to kind of explore the why as you said is and the vulnerability behind it is really interesting because maybe they
0: love it and it's just a mental block but that's a powerful mental block. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, shame plays such a big role in relationships and in sex. And so getting to the source of our shame is important. Like when we do feel, first of you have to identify it. That's really hard to actually say, oh, I'm attaching shame to that. But if you can go and say, okay, yeah. where did I learn about this? Like, what were the early messages? Do I value those sources of the messages? And what parts of those messages mm-hmm. do I want to retain? And which ones do I want to discard? But we don't actively think about our feelings, especially shame with that kind of emotionally literate lens. And so if we took a little bit more time around our feelings and developed more emotional literacy uh, outside the bedroom, it's going to pay off inside the bedroom.
1: And a lot of people seem to feel nervous asking for what they want in the bedroom or introducing something new into the mix, especially if it's like a newer relationship and you're still kind of early, early days. Is there any specific language or conversation starters that you recommend for people to broach these subjects?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the easiest things to do is just ask a partner, how do you feel about that? Like, what do you think of this? So you're you're kind of approaching with curiosity. Uh, I often recommend Mm -hmm. that you turn to pop culture. So if you see something on TV or on Netflix, uh, and it's an interaction that makes you a little uncomfortable or makes you a little excited, use those as conversation starters, like, oh, what did you think of that scene? Or how did you feel about the way she spoke to him there? Because oftentimes that third party bridge can make it easier to talk about more complex personal topics because it doesn't feel as personalized. We're talking about characters, we're talking about fictionalized situations, but it also offers you insights into how I think and how I feel. Uh, and then, you know, my language around introducing something new is always start with the positive, make an inquiry, and then make your make your request. So, like, tell them what you're loving uh create an opening for for them to share what they're into like oh is there anything you'd like to try or do you want to talk about any of your fantasies or uh you know is there something that's been on your mind and then you know what i'd love to try with you is this thing and maybe like highlight the the benefits oh if if we did that together i feel like i would feel um so cared for or that would really help to put me in the mood or that would make things like i just feel like that would be so intense between us so positive inquiry and request that's a great formula to follow.
1: And what are some good strategies for giving constructive feedback about things that maybe aren't working for you in your sex life without hurting their ego? Because that's a tough one.
0: It really is. I I mean, I think what we first we have to accept that sometimes people aren't going to like what we're saying and sometimes people's Mm -hmm. feelings are going to be hurt Um, and that has to do with the stories we're telling ourselves, the internalization of messages around shame and worthiness. And so in some cases, no matter how we say it or what we say, folks are going to internalize it and we actually we can't do much about that right like your if your partner tends to internalize anything that might be interpreted as criticism as personal shame or a lack of self-worth that actually is something for them to work on Uh, but in you know in a relationship where you feel like it you know things are open but of course you don't want to insult them again i think if you can talk about what you do like as often as you talk about new things you'd like to try uh that can be really helpful also really explaining why so it's not you're doing something wrong it's actually the way i've been noticing my body responding is this so like for example you know i used to really love when you rang my clitoris like a doorbell but now i've discovered (laughs) that i actually like rubbing in this way or uh you know i like the feeling of closeness during intercourse but what really takes my orgasms over the edge is when you rub on the outside with your hand and so uh, really when you make it about yourself and not about their actions, so it's not like oh you always do this or you only do that or you're doing this wrong Uh, I think most people are quite responsive to you know what I've just discovered feels good in my body is this can we try that instead of this other thing right and
1: then it's really it's not even being framed as a criticism it's really just like a direction of what would make things even better for you that they can follow without being you know, a personal attack or anything like that. And I mean, with any relationship, it's it usually works better in communication to frame it from like, here's what I need and I've noticed within myself and how I feel about this rather than you're not doing this or you always want me to do this. That's when the egos come out. So I love that. Exactly. And now that people know how to talk about sex, what about talking during sex? Do you have any tips for good dirty talk, good sexting. I know this is something a lot of my friends are like, how do we do it? And it's for some people it comes so naturally and for others they're like, I do not know what the fuck to say.
0: You know, dirty talk is a bit of a misnomer. So dirty talk doesn't have to be dirty. It can be romantic. It can be teasing. It can be demanding. It can be playful. And in, I, I'm going to plug my latest book, The Ultimate Guide to Seduction and Foreplay. Uh, in the book, we have like a whole chapter on how to talk dirty and all the different dirty talk styles to make them your own. So number one, think about like what really turns you on rather than worrying about saying what you think a partner wants to hear. What, what would you want to hear? Like, what do you want to say? What makes you feel however it is you like to feel in order to get excited. So like maybe you like to be a little bit of a tease. Well, play with that in your dirty talk, right? Like, oh, you can't have this. Or maybe you really Mm -hmm. derive pleasure from power and you wanna be a little bit more dominant then you can use the language of like, you're going to do what I say, or, you know, and then the second piece around dirty talk. So the first piece is really finding your style and realizing that like, you can be all these different things. It doesn't have to be nasty. It doesn't have to be like, uh-uh, put your blank and your blank and blank me. And blank is so big and all that <laughs> nonsense. And the second piece is, is really tuning into the way you talk, because you know, our parents used to say to us, it's like, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Uh, and the yeah. same is true when it comes to sex and, and to dirty talk, like, Are you whispering in a gentle way? Are you speaking slowly and taking control? Are you screaming with pleasure? Like really think about tone, volume, is it breathy? Is it in their ear? And a great way to practice is face down in the pillow talking when they can't really hear you. Uh, Other people find that overwhelming audio like an audio overwhelm in the room can help so just like playing the music really really loud so that you don't feel as self-conscious uh and in terms of like you can also practice you know via sexting right all the different things you want to try i always think like with sexting past present future like can you talk about something that you remember that you really liked um can you talk about Mm -hmm. what you're doing right now and you can can you talk about what you want to do in the future and i'm sure like in a long distance relationship that past present future becomes Uh, really of paramount importance.
1: Absolutely. I love that. And that's, I haven't really heard that before. That's such a fresh take on Dirty Talk in terms of orienting it towards what turns you on, because I feel like it can become really performative and you can just, people can fall into this habit of just saying, you know, what they say in porn or what you think will turn your partner on. But if it comes from what turns you on, then it's going to actually just elevate your experience so much.
0: A hundred percent. That's great
1: so we hear a lot about sex positions but i found it really interesting to read about the different penetrative techniques that you talk about for increasing pleasure so shallowing angling there's a few more could you walk us through those four penetrative techniques
0: yes absolutely so we know that penetrative sex is less likely to lead to orgasm for folks with vaginas and vulvas than other types of sex right like we are more likely to have an orgasm from toys from oral from touching but We still like penetrative sex, many of us. So there was this study that asked 3,000 cis hetero women how they increase their pleasure during penetrative sex, since penetration alone isn't necessarily all that exciting. And so they found these four different techniques, shallowing, rocking, pairing, and angling. So shallowing just refers to using a toy or the penis or a fingertip to stimulate the more sensitive part of the vagina, which is right at the entrance. So some of us will call that the orgasmic platform. Uh, So basically the shallow part of the vagina can be more responsive than, than getting deeper. So that's shallowing. Rocking, this is a really common one, as opposed to thrusting in and out, you're keeping the toy or the penis or the finger all the way inside so that you can kind of rock back and forth and rub your clitoris against its base. This is how so many people orgasm during intercourse. So the person who's being penetrated there during the rocking? Yeah, they're kind of like grinding against the base of their partner's shaft or against their pelvic bone. So it's like, a, it's kind Got of it. like grinding. So you're kind of rocking okay. back and forth. We're going back to high school dances. <laughs> right. right, okay, yes, but not side to side, more like up and down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could do side to side, actually. It's just more people do up and down. Nothing is wrong if it feels good. Then they came up with pairing, which basically means doing something else while you're being penetrated. So like reach down and touch yourself with a toy. Reach down and use your hand. Because people will be like, oh, I can't orgasm during intercourse unless I use my hands to touch myself. And so I'm like, Okay, so then use your hands to touch yourself. Like you don't get yeah. a prize for riding your bike with your without your hands sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not doesn't need to be a hands-free orgasm. Uh, I think the big yeah. thing is people just do what feels good in your body. Like don't do what you see in porn. Don't overthink it. Don't worry about the position. Don't worry about what anyone is, what your partner is feeling for a moment. Just do what feels good for you. Because people will say like, oh, what's yeah. the posi- best position for this, that, or the other? And, and the thing is there is no best position for G-spot orgasms. There is no best position for multiple orgasms. There is no best position for deep penetration because every body is different.
1: Yeah, 100%. Uh, And
0: then finally in this study, they found that 87.5% use angling. And this is where they're simply rotating, raising, or lowering their pelvis to adjust how they rub against the toy or the penis. So all of these are sort of put together, like before we mentioned rocking, kind of rubbing up and down on the outside, angling goes hand in hand with this because everybody's angle is going to be different. And this can have to do with your pelvic tilt. This can have to do with the position of your clitoris. This can have to do with uh, even the shapes of your body. Like if you have a more padded pubic mound, maybe you need to reach down more. If your partner has a belly, maybe you're going to have to change positions to get that rub on. Uh, And so we were talking about yesterday, I was asked about deeper sex positions. But the thing is, with deeper sex positions is, again, it depends on your body shape, right? So like if you're having sex from behind, for some people, that's a really deep position. For other people, they've got a lot of padding in their butt and it's not going to be a deep position. Um, same right. thing with missionary. For some people, missionary is the deepest position. For others, like our tummies can get in the, the way. So you just have to do what feels right for your body.
1: Just play. You'll, you'll figure it out when it gets deep. <laughs>
0: Exactly, but I did, I did think this study that you had asked me about with these four different techniques uh, was pretty interesting because it was a reminder that we don't just stick things in and out. Uh, and when we are sticking things in and out, we're doing these other things to increase our pleasure. And again, it's shallowing, rocking, pairing, and angling. I love that. And for
1: couples who have been together for a while, do you have any techniques or exercises to spice things up or connect more deeply if you're in a rut?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we start with conversation. So uh, we have an exercise in our book called the Sexual Values Conversation. And it helps you to just better understand like what sex means to you, um, where you're coming from, why it matters, what emotions you attach to sex. And so the sexual values prompts kind of begin with, you know, what were the early messages you received about sex? Who were the sources of those messages? Uh, which of those messages really resonate with you today? Which of those messages do you perhaps want to discard and rewrite? Uh, How important is sex in a relationship? What makes sex fulfilling physically? What makes sex fulfilling emotionally? What makes sex fulfilling relationally, spiritually? And I think just having those conversations First of all, it can be uncomfortable, and a little bit of discomfort is good to help you bust out of a, a rut that's you know related to the min- mundane and repetition. But also, it can help you to like discover your own fantasies and discover what it is you might be into if you let your guard down and if you start to discard some of that sexual shame. So really, uh, these conversations can be can be really meaningful. Uh, in terms of you know techniques, of course, there are lots of new things to try. I would say definitely get a new lube. Uh, and use your lube with your hands because there's so much you can do. Uh, You can definitely play with toys. Like for example, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the WeVibe suite of toys, but the WeVibe toys are all app enabled so you can use them from a distance. So you can be using it. Great for long distance. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And great for even if like you're very busy and you're out and about like the hall with the holiday season. Uh, If you're out at a cocktail party, one of you could be wearing one of these super whisper quiet toys in your underwear and the other one could be controlling it from their phone
1: yeah that will spice things up guaranteed <laughs> and that brings me to my next question which is what are some of the go-to toys other you know you've mentioned the we vibe and those are great 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 products that you recommend for partner play for couples who want to try something new just just je- you know beyond vibrators i feel like a lot of people don't know how many toys are available to them
0: Oh my gosh, there are so many different types of toys. Um, Some of them that I'm really into right now are the glass toys. I host a show um, on TSC, the shopping channel. It actually airs on City TV Fridays at midnight. And we sell all sorts of toys. And uh, one set that I'm really excited about are the Cristalino products because they're glass sex toys. So they're beautiful, shatterproof glass in different colors. They're inspired by kind of the Murano glass designs. Um, some of them, there's one called the planets, which is kind of a whole bunch of balls put together in a curve. Uh, and they're so glass toys are so great for so many things. Number one, um, the firmness of glass is incomparable. So if you do get off on rubbing on pressure against the G spot on friction against the clitoris, you will be hard pressed uh, to find anything that compares to glass toys. Uh, you also with glass toys can play with heating them up, with cooling them off. You can stick them in the dishwasher when you're done with them. They're gorgeous. So if you head to over to tsc.ca and the section is intimately you, So tsc.ca slash intimately you. Uh, and right now there is a special on and you can get 25% off all of their products with code Dr. Jess 25. So D-R-J-E-S-S. So the crystallino are absolutely beautiful. Other toys to play with. So I'm a big fan of wand vibrators. Uh, I love the the advances in the wand. I love that it doesn't always have to be sexual. It can just be a way to relax because they're these big wands that you can use across your body. So we vibe does make my favorite wand. It's just called Wand Uh, by WeVibe. It's also (laughs) available at tsc.ca. And it's this beautiful silky smooth silicone with this flexible head. Uh, super powerful. But what I love about this toy specifically is that it has two really, well, has multiple cool features, but it has smart silence technology, meaning as soon as you pull it away from the body, it goes into standby mode. And then when you press it back against the skin, it turns on and it has yeah. a dimmer switch on its handle. So you never have to be like looking for buttons. You just press up or down. And again, it can be, be paired from a distance. And then another suite of toys that, Kind of revolutionized the industry and came out with something really exceptional uh, in terms of technology is Womanizer. So Womanizer was based in Berlin originally, and it was a really interesting story with this guy who was trying to figure out how to simulate oral sex with a little bit of suction, and he started apparently by just kind of pulling his his fish tank (laughs) um, pump out and using that as the basis technology. and, And of course that's evolved into like the top selling oral sex toy in the world. And what it uses is a positive, negative or push pull motion. So they're tiny changes in air pressure and this little opening that looks like a, like you can kind of look into it and that fits around the head of your clitoris. And this toy originally launched with an orgasm guarantee like that's how good it is and they have all different kinds like they've got the classic the premium with all the bells and whistles they've got uh one that is a duo so it's got both an internal arm and the externals kind of i don't want to call it suction because it's not really suction it's kind of a cross between section and vibing and pulsing uh it's really pulsing, really yeah. exceptional that's amazing Another
1: interesting thing I think with toys that people who are new to toys might not be considering are like, as you mentioned before, the textures. So you might just want to experiment. Like, are you into glass? Are you into silicone? Are you like, what are the different textures that work for you? And then weight. I had never thought about weight before, but the weight of a product makes such a difference in how you experience it and what the sensations are. And so maybe you're into steel, you know, you can't have too many toys because they just all offer so many different sensations.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I find that, and I don't know if this is true, but I find that with the the vibration type toys, that the heavier weight ones, like the better quality ones have a more rumbly sensation. It's not kind of like yeah. as high pitched. And so that can feel a little bit more intense and also like a little bit deeper in terms of yeah. kind of resonating throughout the pelvic region.
1: Yeah. Agreed. So We've also gotten a lot of questions about how to work up to and prepare for anal play in terms of like how to actually prepare your body to like toys that you might want to use if you're just venturing into, you know, some backdoor pleasure play.
0: Do you have any advice for that? Absolutely. So this is a big topic. So first and foremost, you need to get to know your own butt. You need to know the anatomy of the butt. So you've got two ring-like muscles in your butt called your sphincters, which we already talked about because of the butterflies. And the outside sphincter, like the more external one, I mean, it's not outside, it's still inside, but it's more external, uh, is controlled by your central nervous system, which means you can like push and pull and tense and release, which you're all probably doing right now. The internal one is controlled by the autonomic nervous system, which means it's the same nervous system that controls your heart rate. So you don't have complete control over it. But with relaxation, with excitement and arousal, with visualization, you can learn to, to relax that muscle. So the first thing is getting to know your own body, probably starting with your pinky finger and some lube and some arousal uh, and kind of sliding it in there over you know, a day, a week, a couple weeks, a month, getting to know those muscles and feeling what it's like when they relax. Uh, and once you know those muscles, you can learn to relax them during arousal. Uh, the second thing is getting really aroused before you penetrate. It can be really helpful because of the rush of kind of feel good and relaxation hormones across the body. Using silicone lube is absolutely necessary. Um, the more lube, the better. And then anytime somebody's putting something in your butt, make sure that they have also put something in their own butt. So that they really understand how the butt works. So I find, like in the hetero context, men always want to put their penises in women's butts, but they're like they can't even handle a finger in their own butt. Well, if you don't, if you don't have the willingness and sense of bodily understanding to get to know your sphincters, even just with like a tiny little pinky finger, um, I have some concerns about whether or not you're going to be slow and careful and responsive with someone else's butt. So I call it the anal golden rule. If they wanna put it in your butt, make sure they've gotten to know their own butt. That doesn't mean they have to have a huge dildo up their butt or they need a dick up their butt, but they basically just need to get to know the anatomy of the butt and be willing to put in the work, right? Be willing to try. Uh, I I do have a whole podcast, many podcasts, but there's a couple you can go check out. So my podcast is the Sex with Dr. Just podcast and we have one on preparing for anal. Um, We have a couple of different ones. Some where I walk you through the process, some where different physicians will walk you through the process.
1: That's so helpful. And are there any specific like plugs or toys that you would recommend to start with?
0: Yeah. um, So there are some really great plugs on the market. So if you're an absolute beginner, then the Love Honey Ignite 20 function butt plug is a good option. And then if you're a little bit more advanced, you could play with some of the vibrating butt plugs, but also prostate toys. So, of course, the prostate is like a G-spot, accessible through the butt, uh, creates more full-bodied orgasms. And so there are a number of options on the market. Love Honey has a couple. Uh, WeVibe has a few as well worth checking out. Got it.
1: Last question for you that we always ask our guests is, what is one thing that you wish you had learned in school that you weren't taught?
0: Oh, man. So I was a teacher. I was a high school teacher. And that's how I ended up in this field was, you know, I had all these kids coming to students coming to me with these issues related to sex and realized that teachers were thrown into the fire without the resources to support students. And even though I actually had a background in sexuality, my undergrad was in sexual diversities, I still didn't feel prepared to support my students. I think this is partly from a student perspective and partly from a teacher's perspective. I wish that we were taught that there's lots of different ways to learn because I have trouble with focus and attention and I don't like to sit still. And because, you know, partly with women, we are trained to be people pleasers and so we will offset these, I guess, neuroatypical tendencies by still doing well. And so I just wish that in school they offered more ways to learn. Some of us really need to be more hands-on, some of us are more audio, some of us are more visual, some of us, of course, are more tactile, kinesthetic. I mean, I look at my work. And the things that I've learned by attending, like, a sex club, <laughs> um, you know, it puts to shame the things that I can learn in a textbook. In terms of what I wish I'd learned, well, I guess I could say I wish I learned about the clitoris at a younger age, because I didn't learn about that till I swear I was like... I don't know. I don't even know if it was in undergrad or in my doctorate, but I was definitely not a young person. So let's start teaching young people. If you're gonna teach them what a knee is and a shoulder is, and even a penis is. Uh, and when we teach about erections, cause I remember like in my grade five curriculum, we learned about erections and how the blood rushes into the penis and gets trapped by the tunic albuginea. You know, I never knew what a, that a freaking erection was also a boner. Like they never really taught you that the penis was hard. You know what I mean? There's like this right, physiological right. teaching. But while we're teaching about penile erections, let's teach about clitoral erections as well because clitorises right. also get boners. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. I feel like when people learn that, it's such a mindfuck. They're like, wait, what? My yeah. clit quit in gorges? It's so interesting. Okay. Please tell everybody where they can find you. You've got a podcast. You've got a book. You've got social channels. And they're all incredible. So pimp yourself out.
0: Thank you. Yeah, sexwithdrjess.com and the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast, available on all platforms. Also, Sex with Dr. Jess on social media, and Fridays at midnight on City TV across Canada on Intimately You.
1: Thank you so, so, so much. This was the best conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. We hope this episode helped you learn a little more about how to spice things up in the bedroom and tap into your sexuality. At the end of the day, whether you're having sex for love or connection, solo or coupled for fun or for pleasure it should be something that you feel good about it should be empowering and confidence boosting and energizing and honestly I felt all of those things after today's episode so I hope you all feel empowered we'll leave you with a quote from legendary Hollywood star Mae West sex is an emotion in motion that's what she said go spice up your sex life friends